All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And again, I'll remind you to sign up for my letter or Chen's. You can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, and uh, uh, to sign up for either of those letters. Or you can also call us during normal work hours in New York City, 718-457-1426 is the number, 718-457-1426. want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Also, encourage you to continue sending along your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, our sponsors for today's show are Metanor Resources and Avino Silver and Gold Mines. Before we get started with today's show, I would like to uh, let you know that I will be speaking at the Pan Pacific Hotel on May 14th. I will be a guest speaker there at the Metals and Investor Forum. Also speaking there will be the likes of Brent Cook, Eric Coffin, Gwen Preston, and Brian London. Um, and uh, they will be presenting some of their favorite companies there. Then the companies and the managements of those companies will be there so you can meet up with them, talk to them, learn more about their stories. Uh, again, these are uh, companies that are invited to go to this, uh, to this forum. Uh, it's not just a matter of them paying money to get in, but they are the favorites of Brent Cook, Eric Coffin, Gwen Preston, and Brian London. So in order to sign up uh, for this, if you're anywhere near the Vancouver area, I would suggest you consider attending. Go to jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia, jaytaylormedia.com. Click on the banner there, the Metals Investor Forum banner, and then you can uh, go right to the sign-up page. So we hope that many of you will take advantage of that and look forward to seeing you there. Also, I would encourage you to check out bitgold.com. More than ever, with central banks pushing towards negative interest rates and bail-ins, you owe it to yourself and your family to opt out as much as possible from the fiat money system, buy tangible assets. As Ellen Brown reminded us last week, negative interest rates, bail-ins, they are most certainly coming. It's just a matter of time. So protect yourself. Uh, bit gold is a very convenient way to own gold. It's, it's one of many, but it's one that I think makes an awful lot of sense, and it's one that I have uh, partaken of myself. Again, if you go to jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, click on the banner, on the BitGold banner, uh, and it will take you right to their page, and you can learn more about how you can uh, take advantage of their services. 
Our t- show today is titled, Is This Move in Gold for Real? Frank Holmes will be with me at about a half past the hour. Jim Payne uh, will be with me after the first break, and Michael Oliver in just a few seconds will have something to tell us about his latest views on some of these key markets. What has been driving the price of gold higher in 2016? More importantly, uh, is this a long-lasting move or is simply uh, another bear market rally, as, uh, as many would have us believe? Frank Holmes will certainly give us his views on that. And in just a moment, as I mentioned, Michael will provide his latest views on gold and the dollar. We're going to ask him about the dollar today. Hopefully, he'll have some things to tell us. Um, and uh, he has, of course, those of you who listen to Michael, he's here almost every week. He has been quite bullish on gold, so we'll see if he's still in that camp. No matter what your views are on gold, not putting all your eggs into one basket usually makes sense. And Frank Holmes manages a diverse group of mutual funds, uh, so we'll ask him to give us uh, his larger view on the economy and the global markets, uh, as well as precious metals, of course. Um, then to apply theory to practice, uh, and to the practical, I will be speaking with Jim Payne, the CEO of Dynasert, after our first commercial break. I remain very optimistic about the prospects for Dynasert, especially since the company is now receiving a huge amount of positive attention from the Canadian government for its proven technology to not only reduce fuel consumption for trucks and other large-scale consumers of energy, but also because of its ability to significantly cut carbon emissions. And while a company like Tesla gets all of the glory and attention, Dynasert's technology is here now, and it's been proven uh, by the Pepsi-Cola experiment, their trucks that they were using uh, the Dynasert technology. So in my view, this is a company that has great upside potential, except especially when you look at the current share price and market cap. It's very, very low. Very few people know about this company, but we think its, uh, its sales and profits will do the talking for it. But of course, Jim will be with me in just a few minutes to talk about uh, about Dynasert and his plans going forward. Well, for now, though, let's talk to Michael Oliver, who's with me again. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to be back, and it's always good to tell my listeners that they really owe it to themselves to go to olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com, to learn more about Michael Oliver's work. Michael, you've been talking about gold moving around uh, for a while in a, in a congestive pattern. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks or so, that's been the terminology you, you used. Uh, what is your momentum work suggesting is a price level that could trigger a substantial move higher? What sort of resistance levels is your momentum work suggesting we need to get through in order to see much higher prices? I think you're looking at $1,450 as sort of a first stop in the next major move. Yeah, uh, first off, context. The long-term momentum factors of gold, annual and quarterly momentum as I measure them, which is different than looking at price, broke out between 1140 and 1160 area during the month of February. And immediately upon uh, breaking through that zone in price, which doesn't mean anything on a price chart, but for momentum it was a major breakout. We surged Mm -hmm. $100, went to 1260. That was like the second week of February, which was coincidental with the S&P low. Okay. Now, the S&P's had one heck of a percent rally, but gold has not had one heck of a percent decline. It's congested. In fact, right now we're in the 1240s. Uh, I think that's actually higher than the peak close of that, that surging week in the second week of February. Mm-hmm. So we're basically really in a, in a uh, about an 
$80 range or a little less in gold, up and down and up and down for the last seven weeks. And it's, I call it a congestion zone. In other words, that surge that we had after the breakout got gold into a, a temporarily overbought situation. And there's two ways to correct that. that one is to go down hard, uh, and the other is just to waste your time. And yeah. it's, it's largely been a waste of time, I think, for anybody to try to short it unless they're real quick. Uh, so I view it as a congested phase. I still think we're going higher. We're crossing some numbers today on the settlement that uh, argue that maybe you're, you're ready to return to the high, but it's, it's not all that. It's a very near-term situation there. But the big picture says up. We're already up 17% on the year right now, and we're off the highs. Whereas the S&P is floundering around unchanged on the year, so take your pick. <laughs> and uh, the dollar is the other interesting situation. Uh, I've been watching it closely in layers because, you know, the dollar index, which is uh, the barometer of the dollar, is comprised of various uh, trade-weighted currencies. The euro is by far the largest. It's 57% of the dollar index. Mm. So the euro, while it's been trapped uh, off of its lows, but in a congestion zone for the last four or five months, I guess, uh, it has not played the game either way. And that's helped the dollar remain relatively steady, though slightly weak, but not, not sharply weak. The yen, meanwhile, which is the second heaviest weighted currency in the dollar index, I think it's like 17% or something, uh, has surged dramatically since the close of last year and is, is, is shaping it a bit to gain more. Also in that package is the Canadian dollar and the British pound, the Canadian dollar, as far as I'm concerned, is breaking out big time this month on uh, mm. long-term momentum. That tends to confirm the gold situation and a potential commodity bottom because this currency does tend to move with uh, commodity baskets. Mm-hmm. And the BP um, has been oversold, and it's turning up enough this month for it to look at least intermediate to positive, meaning for the next three to four months, I'd expect it to rise. So we're starting to see a situation here with the euro even today firming nicely. And... It's not really my breakout levels, which is above 114. It's in the 113s. But it, it, its persistence suggests to me that it wants to go higher, wants to go up into the 120s again. Mm-hmm. Now, if you put all that package together, uh, that could really put the dollar index into some trouble. Uh, it's toying right now with 95 level, uh, the dollar index cash today. And if you close out the month at 95, and especially 94.50, we've been down close to that level this quarter, intra quarter. Uh, that indicates to me that it wants to go down into the high 80s. That's a significant move, considering that its peak was over 100. I think at that point, you're, you're back in a bear market the dollar. Mm-hmm. If, you, oh. if you close out this month or this quarter at the 94.50, for example, I think that will open up a downdraft of some significance for that, for that currency. Uh, and that, that obviously will help gold and, and uh, laggard commodities. Mm-hmm. How about the stock market? Oh, I think the rally is uh, a lot of hot air. I think they're, they're excited today because uh, what Yellen uh, said or implied or didn't say, you know, it was all the things they wanted. But meanwhile, look at what really gained today. T-bonds, which have been negative to the S&P, gold, uh, the euro, uh, dollar index went down, the spread between TLT, which is the safe government debt instrument, 20-year and onward in maturity, versus the HYG, which is the high-yield debt instrument. That spread favored the TLT today. Uh-huh. So in other words, there's still a flight to safety here in the debt markets, yeah. away from high-yield into low-yield, low low-risk. So all the, the peripheral markets around the S&P are saying something opposite today to what the S&P is saying. And I think it's important. Wow. 
Uh, well, you know, certainly one of the markets, the most important markets, if not the most important market in the world, is the markets for U.S. Treasuries. Uh, this we're still in a bull market, aren't we? We're still in a secular bull market for U.S. Treasuries. Now, my numbers have not been broken. Uh, they started the year around them and immediately went up. And uh, I'll adjust. I do think by late this year, probably you're going to have uh, T bonds uh, yields starting to rise and the price coming back down. In other words, the long end of the debt market will turn the other way. And at that point, the the inverse relationship, I think, between the long-term safe debt, German debt, our debt, for example, which mm-hmm. has been trending to lower yields will shift toward higher yields, and that will hurt the stock market. Um, well, that, that would seem to me to pretend of a loss of confidence in the fiat money system globally. If we're starting yeah. to see the strongest currencies um, and, and the strongest treasury debt markets start to decline in value, yields rise, markets decline, that would, that would not be a happy sign. For well, it's, uh, I think that Yellen is, uh, and her predecessors have paved the road for, uh, they wanted uh, 2%, uh, Draghi wants 2%, everybody wants 2% inflation as if they can control it. Uh, yeah. What I see in commodities, being led by gold now, but later on this year, I think you'll see it in commodities, it's not going to be 2%, it's going to be a lot more. And yeah. I think that will shock some markets, especially the long-term end of the debt market. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, certainly we know from the past, Michael, and we're, we're just about out of time here, but we, we know from the past that once you start having some inflation issues, that it can really start to, uh, to run very rapidly and get out of hand. Uh, that, that would seem to be something that could happen if the dollar starts to lose its value. It's really a con game, isn't it? I mean, it's all about a con game. Oh, it is. Uh, fiat money is uh, uh, a loss of the capability of man to measure something. Uh, you know, right. it's, it, it's so unreal in terms of its measurement. If you had a yardstick that changed its size uh, every other month or so and increased in size but still said 36 inches, yeah. like a dollar bill says one dollar, and yet yeah. its real size changed on you, you can't rely on it as a unit of measure. Well, in yeah. the economic and financial world, what do we use to rely, what do we rely upon as unit of measure of reality? Uh, yeah. changing well, fiat currencies that double uh, their, their quantity every 10, 12 years. Right. Well, as a reliable as, yardstick. <laughs> as, I, as my good late friend Ian McAvity used to say, a, dollar, uh, a barrel of oil is a barrel of oil, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. What is the dollar? And as you point out, there's no measurement for it. Uh, we, we do, that's why we are encouraged listeners to think about taking some of those fiat dollars and putting them into tangible assets, starting with the most liquid of all, gold, silver, some things like that. Michael, we're out of time. Thanks for your insights. Always good to talk to you. Always good to hear what you have to say. Uh, no reason to get bearish on gold then at this point, I guess. We, we really want to... Absolutely not. Just, uh, yeah. Stay happy. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, thanks so much, Michael. Thanks for being Thank with you. us. We'll look to do Thank it again next week. Well, folks, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away because Jim Payne of Dinosert will be with me to talk about prospects for his company uh, for the hydrogen uh, device that they're using to get tremendous increases in mileage and also reduction in carbon emissions. So don't go away. Jim Payne will be with me right after the break.
Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino has partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Jim Payne. Jim is the Chief Executive Officer of Dynasert Inc. That's a company that trades primarily in Canada. Uh, it trades uh, under the symbol DYA, and it trades in uh, the United States under the symbol uh, DYFSF. That's where I purchased the shares of these uh, of the stock. The company is trading at around $0.10 cents a share in U.S. money, around 11 or $0.12 cents in Canadian dollars. Welcome, Jim. I'm really glad you could join me again. Thank you, Dave. It's always a pleasure. Always good to talk to you. Uh, we had you on once to hear your exciting story. It is indeed a very exciting story because of the prospects of, I think, the prospects of considerable growth that you have ahead of you because you're doing a good thing. You are saving truck drivers and other people money by uh, through fuel efficiency, and you are also reducing the carbon emissions that come from the engines as a result of your technology. For the benefit of those who may not have heard you the first time you are on our show, can you talk again a little bit about your transportable hydrogen generator that uh, that is really reducing um, the consumption of fuel and reducing also the carbon emissions? Sure, Jay. Our product it is called the Hydrogen. It is a, it's a very unique patent-pending uh, computerized on-demand electrolysis unit. It's designed for the internal combustion engines. What it does is it actually supplies the air intake with small amounts of hydrogen and oxygen uh, on-demand, and it uh, by doing this, it results in, in increased fuel economy, increased torque, it extends the oil engine life, uh, certainly reduces the downtime of the engine, and very much so reduces the, uh, reduces the emissions. You... Uh You've had it tested on some 200 Pepsi trucks in the Detroit markets. I guess maybe there was 100 that was that used the device and 100 that did not as a control group. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about the performance that, that has come from that test? Sure. I mean, that was, that was our uh, earlier version of what we've got now, but yet uh, we Pepsi actually purchased and ran 200 units. But they did a case study with 100 trucks with and 100 trucks without. It, uh, at the end of the year, they 
publicly put out in their own magazine, uh, reduced fuel, uh, improved the fuel economy by 14.8% on an average on 100 trucks, and reduced the reduced the emissions clean across the board. It reduces the emissions, you know, depending on the toxic gases. You know, from the lowest, it's 10 to 12 percent to the highest of 40 percent. Oh, that's that's very significant, uh, I would think. Uh, and uh, do you have a sense of uh, how much it costs the truck drivers to purchase one of these units and, and what sort of the payback period might be? Yeah, yeah you know, an installed unit, all in all done with installation, and costs right around $10,000. And their return on investment is averaged from 8 to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just on the fuel economy. Uh, that does not take into account... You know the, the reduced downtime, or the or the uh, extended uh, engine life, engine oil life, mm-hmm. and increased torque. And I would imagine there could be also some savings. This is, uh, of course, maybe a bit of blue sky, but if uh, carbon emissions standards are put in place, and if there's some ability to save money that way, perhaps. Absolutely, and that is quite honestly why you know we have just recently taken the road we have working with the government officials here because uh, it is very important to have the proper validation on the on the reduction of, uh, of the carbon footprint. You know, with that, you know, we will end up getting, you know, carbon credits and uh, the end users, uh, you know, the government is looking to be able to validate giving tax credits to the end users also. So, oh, so that could also sweeten the economics for the users of those that pay $10,000 to buy one of these units. Well, even so, $10,000, I suppose, uh, for a, let's say, an independent truck driver might be, you know, it's, 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 it's not nothing. Let's put it that way. You have arranged, though, however, I believe, I don't know if you've finalized it yet, but it's my understanding you may have done so, uh, a leasing arrangement uh, with some company somewhere, I, I can't remember if, if I've seen the announcement or not, uh, that would provide lease financing for a truck uh, for, for truck drivers. Is that right? That is right, Jay. We just recently, it's a company called Global Access Capital Corp. Uh, they have you know, uh, just agreed to offer leasing on our, on our units for any, uh, any fleets or any trucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, uh, on another front, it's my understanding that you have, I don't know if you've finalized it or not, but at least there was some agreement in the making potentially with some company in India to start distributing your hydrogen device? That is correct. matter of fact, we have a representative going over there at the end of the month, uh, has several meetings set up with large companies over there, but also with the several government officials, officials over there in India also, because uh, they have also just implemented uh, you know, some very stringent uh, laws against uh, carbon emissions and are very much looking for a product like what we have. Last time we talked, I know we, we talked about third-party verification. You mentioned that you had this... Uh this case study with the Pepsi trucks, the 200 Pepsi trucks, but you need third-party verification, apparently, independent third-party verification, before you can really start your sales program in earnest. Why isn't the 200 truck trial good enough? Well, first of all, as far as the 200, I mean, that was not, and that was independent, but it's not considered third-party. Third-party, okay. Uh, we have also just, just recently, because we're now working with with the Canadian government, both the provincial and the federal government, and they have expressed a very, very strong interest in what we're doing, 
Uh, and you know, with our new with our new federal government, they have taken a very very strong stand towards uh, towards a carbon footprint and reduction of that. So we are working hand in hand with them, uh, and we are working through uh, receiving government grants. We're working through looking at the process with them right now. But with that, I mean, they want to see actual government validation. So we are now working with them to get government validation. And what this is going to do, like I mentioned, carbon credits. I mean, this is going to validate the product not only for fuel savings, but you know, more importantly, the the carbon reductions. And with that, you know, they are looking at putting tax credits on four fleets and that to put the units on. And so, I mean, this is a much higher, uh, you know, accreditation or a much higher validation rank than what we were initially working at. But, mm-hmm. uh, but this certainly, uh, you know, now that, you know, we have a very great relationship with them and a very strong understanding of what it is that they want, it, you know, made all the sense in the world to, to move in this direction. The last time we talked, it, uh, I was under the impression that we might start seeing some meaningful sales fairly quickly. And, but that was before you decided to, to use the government for third-party verification. Is it possible that that may be delaying your sales some, but the, in the long run, perhaps, as you suggest, making it a lot, uh, you know, giving it a stronger accreditation? You're absolutely right, Jay. Uh, you know, I will certainly, you know, very, very bullish and optimistic that we would, you know, get the initial validation very quickly and convert to sales. Now, we, you know, we are, without a doubt, moving in that arena. We are actually building out a brand new space, uh, you know, a large facility for the, for the assembly of the products for the mm-hmm. trucking industry. Uh, you know, this is all, you know, like I said, once again, you know, we are, you know, we are working hand-in-hand with with the Canadian government, both provincially and federally, um, you know, to uh, to do this. And the nice thing is, you know, by doing it this route, you know, it certainly does not cause any dilution for the for our current shareholders uh-huh. either. You know, which I think is very important. Right, especially I guess if you get some financing or some some aid somehow from the government, would also reduce the, uh, the the shareholder dilution, which of course is very important to those of us who were in the stock earlier on. Right. Uh, well, because of you know because of Paris and and because of our you know Justin Trudeau and the government that they're doing, you know now there is so many grants available specifically for you know for companies like us. Like they just announced a new budget here, you would swear that this budget was made specifically for companies like us. You know, I mean, and with the innovation, science, and economic development that's going on, I mean everything dovetails directly with our company and where we're at. Yeah, at the right time, uh, the right place at the right time, it seems, perhaps. Uh, well, how, you know, I know working with governments, though, it, it does uh, sometimes try your patience because it, they are, after all, a monopoly. In, in government monopolies, uh, governments can basically take their time. Uh, people go home at 5 o'clock, perhaps, and, uh, you know, they, they're fairly regimented, and sometimes it can take longer. Do you have any sense of when... You might receive third-party verification. Is there any way of knowing or some, just sort of have a sense of it? Jay, we are certainly working very quickly and very diligently to get this done, and and so is, uh, you know, so we've got several, you know, very strong parties from the government that is pulling to get this thing done and, and to fast-track 
uh, for me to put a definitive date on it. Impossible. It's impossible. You know, yeah. it, are we expecting to see great things this year? Absolutely. Well, certainly, uh, there's no doubt that the new government up there would be more aggressive in in terms of uh, uh, the environmental issues, I suppose. And so uh, that that certainly does. Uh, have you seen a difference since the, the new administration has come in there in terms of their interest in your project? Absolutely, we have had uh, you know several visits. It's almost well, biweekly over the last few months. Wow! You know, from both provincial and government officials, and uh, you know, there is a very very strong interest. They are very excited with what we are doing, and quite often that is why we you know we are moving ahead. I mean, we, you know, we have brought in a lot of you know added expertise. We have also you know committed to this to this build out of this new space. You know, for the uh, for the assembly of the clock, and, and that's being done you know, with with full confidence that you know everything is moving in a very positive direction. Last time we talked, you just start, you, you talked a little bit about the prospective economics for these uh, portable hydrogen units. Are you anticipating any change in the manufacturing and marketing economics from the last time we talked? And and um, maybe if you if you could perhaps just review your the concept of the uh, the economics for for this business. I honestly, I think the economics, you know, of it, even makes more sense now than than when we last talked. Uh-huh. Certainly, with um, you know, with the assistance of of the government and with you know, once we receive this validation with the government, uh, carbon credits are going to be a huge thing. I mean, uh-huh. carbon credits is something that you know has been a very soft unknown in North America for a long time. I think, you know, certainly in Canada and the United States, you know, they are taking a very strong stand on that. And, uh, you know, I think that in itself is going to create a whole new income stream and and a whole difference in economics for both, you know, for both the industry and for the end users. Carbon credits aside, could you possibly just uh, mention, talk a little bit about the margins on, on the manufacturing side of the business? Well, on the manufacturing side, it, you know, we know where cost comes in, and you know, reality is, you know, we are working on a sixty percent, you know, margin between uh, between cost and wholesale. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's pretty pretty healthy margin, I would say, and if it if it comes true, uh, and I have no doubt that you believe it will. So, I mean, it's it, if people start to look at. Uh, the volumes that we talked about, and and I would guess that with the government behind it and a strong stamp of approval, uh, once they once they uh, provide that third party verification, it should really help your sales to take off even more rapidly. I would think than if it were some unknown third party, relatively unknown third party uh, verification. No, I I would fully agree. I mean, you know, right now. You know, our main focus is certainly on, you know, work with the government because there's so much R&D funds available and of which we are, there's so much that's eligible for us. And, you know, as we move, especially as we move from the trucking industry and move into the other arenas, you know, because we start looking at, you know, looking at the rail and looking at shipping and looking at large stationary generators, um, you know, that is an area that is... An untapped territory. It is a it is an area that you know, the margins are even greater, and there is a huge demand for it. Yeah, I, I know. I talked to one of your directors, Ron Perry, uh, about this, and he gets really excited about some of those. 
prospects and even some others that uh, you didn't mention, but you, do you see then the possibility for ships and trains and diesel fuel generators in remote locations to be even possibly even bigger than the trucking industry? I believe it is bigger than the trucking industry, yes. I mean, the trucking industry is a huge industry, and then we get from trucking, you know, we get into two buses mm-hmm. and, and, you know, arenas like that. Uh, had some really good conversations, you know, with city buses just recently, and although I'm not confident we would see as great a fuel improvement there, I think, you know, the reduction in their downtime and the reduction in the in the carbon emissions really uh-huh. huge. Yeah, especially for government uh, government transportation, I suppose. They would really want to be on top of that. That's correct. Jim, as far as you know, are there any, uh, is there any serious competition to what you're doing? You know, Jay, it's interesting. There's lots of people um, you know, moving into the hydrogen world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there's a, a lot of companies that are looking at fuel cells and working in the fuel cell arena, which is, it does a whole different field. It's not something that's a competitor to us whatsoever. And then, you know, certainly as it's down the road, I believe that eventually we will get to the hydrogen society, you know, where people are burning hydrogen as a fuel. But mm-hmm. I think we are a long ways from that. I certainly think that, you know, we are a bridge to that. And I think that bridge is a very, very long bridge. So the technology that the, your competitors are talking about is, is considerably removed from what is, uh, what is being used today, whereas yours is, is really just sort of an adjustment to that. That is correct. And I think, you know, the, the other major strength of what we've got it is our new smart ECU. Now, our new smart ECU is not unlike a smartphone. Uh-huh. This is an electronic control module that is learning from the, from the truck climate, the altitudes, the, there's literally thousands of different variables, and this thing is now, you know, learning from that and readjusting. One thing we've certainly learned along the way that, you know, you cannot just put, you know, one fixed amount of hydrogen and oxygen into a combustion engine, I mean, because there's so many different variables, and, you know, which needs, some need more oxygen, less hydrogen, some need more hydrogen, less oxygen. And it's all small amounts. I mean, like, we are not a fuel. We are literally a catalyst. Uh-huh. Uh, it is something that has is, is been proven time and time again uh, you know, over the years by the introduction of hydrogen into, into a combustion engine. It improves or increases the flame spread nine to ten times. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what it really is doing is giving you a cleaner, faster, more complete burn. Mm-hmm. And it's resulting in, in very considerable fuel savings and, and reduced carbon emissions. So it seems like seems like an excellent story, Jim. We're going to be certainly watching uh, the progress of your company, and um, would certainly want to talk to you in the future because I think this is a very exciting, a very exciting story. We certainly had quite a bit of response from listeners uh, to this show who heard your first interview with us. So I really look forward to to having you back again. Anything else you might like to mention to our listeners today before we uh, before we conclude our discussion? No, I think it's important that you know, people keep us on the radar screen. I think there is you know a very exciting story unfolding. Jay, we certainly you know certainly do appreciate everything that uh, everything you do and everything you say because you know, there's no question that you bring a lot of a lot of credibility to this industry. Well, we're just we're very excited. You know, sometimes I get a little overly optimistic, sometimes I get a little too excited, so I'm told that uh, it's interesting, you know, I can honestly say, you know, in the last few days we've had with government officials, 
people call me excited and tell me that I'm, I'm optimistic, they get more excited and more optimistic, and we just keep going on and on and on, you know, of all the possibilities and things. So, you know, I, I definitely think we are at the right place at the right time. Well, it certainly is an exciting story for a stock. It's a ten cents a share U.S. and uh, you know it was a market cap of, of around twenty million dollars. Uh, with the kind of prospects that you have, Jim, it is really exciting. And you know what? I wouldn't want to hear an entrepreneur not be excited about what he's doing. I think that that would be the death knell uh, of a company if you had somebody who was uh, devoting so much of their time and energy to building a company and then they'd say oh but I really don't believe in it <laughs> so that wouldn't work too well and I, I really do appreciate your your controlled enthusiasm because I you're certainly not a guy that's uh, flailing about crazily frothing from the mouth you're a very uh, very controlled person who I think really tells it like it is and I, I really thank you very much Jim for being with us and we'll look forward to doing it again sometime in the near future thank you Jim I appreciate it Well, folks, that's all the time we have, uh, uh, but don't go away because coming up after the break, Frank Holmes of the U.S. Global Group of Funds will be with us, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Frank Holmes. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino is partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Frank Holmes. He's been on our show a number of times. Uh, I would imagine almost everyone out there know who, knows who Frank Holmes is. Um, in case you don't, let me tell you, he is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of U.S. Global Funds, which uh, specializes in natural resources and emerging markets investing. But it, there's some other things there, too, that are quite interesting. It is quite a a group of funds under the umbrella of uh, of U.S. Global Funds and uh, provides a, a good opportunity for, uh, let's say, rebalancing, I think is one of the things Frank likes to do, rebalancing, uh, you know, going, taking some money off the table and putting it in some other areas. It's, it's done very well over the last number of years. So uh, thanks for joining me again, Frank. It's really good to have you with me. It's, it's great to be on your program. Always good to talk to you, and um, today I have to ask you about Janet Yellen. Uh, she was speaking, and it seems, Frank, almost the moment she opened her mouth, gold rose about 10 or 12 bucks, just, just like a rocket, straight up, 
How do you account for that? I mean, the, the, it wouldn't have even been a time for anybody to really weigh the words or to try to figure out what she was saying before the markets took off like mad. How do you account for that? Well, in the world of, of uh, high-frequency trading everyone's so focusing on, there's a, the other real operative uh, research is high-frequency research that, that drives the trading. And there are people that have written algorithms that scan every word she has to say and within mm-hmm. seconds uh, take a look at the two-year government bond. And so in the two-year government bond, it was tick by tick as it dropped a basis point for everything she talked about in, regarding inflation and deflation and the concerns. Um, the two-year, as the two-year yield started to decline, for every basis point you could see gold ticking up and the stock market ticking up. Mm-hmm. And what that's really telling investors is that rates rising are, are very, I just don't believe, are going to be sustainable. And two, um, there is a concern for a couple of things. One is the profit cycle in America is peaking, and uh, uh, that will mean basically is, is a peak for employment. Uh, you have uh, PMIs are slow in the world, so they're going to have to basically do a monetary stimulus, which is going to be negative interest rates. And the more negative a country's interest rates are, the stronger gold prices are in that particular country. And in 2011, when we hit $1,900 gold, we had the biggest negative interest rates. And what does that mean? It means, what will the government pay me minus the CPI for that month, and Mm -hmm. is it positive or negative? Yeah. So uh, so what we're... What we're being led to believe, and what I've believed all along, Frank, is what you just said, that rates are not likely to rise. They, can't, they cannot allow rates to rise. They have to keep accommodation with uh, massive amounts of money that's pumped into the system, driving interest rates lower and more negative. Again, have we ever been positive, though? I don't think we've ever been positive, even in this decline in gold from 1900, have we, the US, in the U.S.? Oh, yes, we have. We've been oh, yes, on positive rates? Yes, we have. Yeah. If you take the government's and, and inflation goes, numbers, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but if you, that doesn't matter. It's it's a what, what's really faked us, Jay, you, I, and everyone else, and is that we've been so consumed with over time and our growing up in this business is looking at the nominal rates, and when you have Fed funds at zero, that's the head fake. So one yeah. has to look underneath the hood, and it's like looking at an iceberg. You only see an eighth of the iceberg; the rest is hidden. So when we have zero interest rates for so many countries around the world, uh, you have to take a look at that two-year, five-year, and ten-year money and take away the CPI number, and that's where you see all the action. Uh, And the action is quite remarkable. So when we go back to September of 2011, it was minus 3% for a ten-year government bond. Well, Mm -hmm. before rates went up 25 basis points, before that last uh, spring, they were plus 2%. Okay. So we went from minus three to plus two, and Fed funds were zero. So there, when we look at the rest of the world, they actually went, went negative. Canada went negative. Australia went negative. So therefore, their currencies fell, and the price of gold in Canadian dollars went to sixteen hundred, and Australian dollars went to sixteen hundred. So, Frank, do you think this this trend towards negative interest rates again is something that's sustainable? And I guess the the, the other side of that question then is, do you think that this gold run, this move that we've had a very strong move so far this year in 2016, is this is this a, a fake out or is it something more durable? I think it's more durable because we have a profit cycle for the S&P 500 peaking. Uh, Bloomberg did a good article on it this past week, a nice chart showing it. 
Um, and, uh, and I think that when we look at PMIs, uh, Europe, Germany were negative again. Uh, the one month is below the three months for the global PMIs. That means next six months, there's not a whole lot of expectation for big global economic growth. And there doesn't appear to be any fiscal stimulus that's really on side. Um, you're seeing this sort of land grab of taxes all over the world. The bureaucracy, I was talking to people today in Colombia, is unbelievable. Uh, if you want to uh, send money and you're going to buy a property there, you may, may have to make wait a month to clear all the government bureaucracy. Mm. So, wow. you, therefore, transactions slow down. There's, therefore, economic activity slows down. And there is no real heart. So the G20 uh, finance ministers prior to uh, 2008 would meet regularly, and it was about synchronized global trade. And we saw a huge you know, impetus behind the energy that's behind the WTO and the global boom. Um, since then, it's been synchronized regulation and taxation. So what, what the fear is in this global trade is triple taxation. So you're a corporation selling abroad from America. You're going to pay the local taxes, the local municipal taxes. And then uh, when you bring the money back into America, you're going to pay another income tax here, even though it's from sales abroad. So mm. you keep paying these taxes. And, and there's no uh, reprieve that's, that's on the table for fiscal stimulus. So that's why they're going to have these negative interest rates to try to stir economic growth. Will it work? Well, it's, it's, as gold is an asset class, it will. I think it's important that investors look at dividend-paying stocks that are increasing their dividend. Um, they, you know, they've done very well, Jay. Uh, yeah. When you look at the broader market, you focus on companies that uh, have low debt balance sheets and many of the consumer uh, discretionary, uh, consumer, uh, cons- consuming basically um, industrial companies too. Um, they've demonstrated this sort of strong growth in dividend increase. And we track uh, all the companies in the S&P 500 that have increased their dividend over uh, three years and look at every quarter for the past 36 uh, months. And it's really quite shocking to see in this low interest rate environment some of these dividend increases. So I think that's where outside of owning gold, that you've mm-hmm. got to be focused on many of these other companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Frank, Southwest you... Airlines have been, I, I want to give you Southwest Airlines increased their dividend 650%. Yes, and, and uh, we should tell our listeners that you have recently created an ETF that uh, tracks the, uh, uh, the airline industry, right? And, uh, and how is that going? It's going exceptionally well. In it, jets. And, uh, it, jets. Um, it's modestly up since uh, it was launched uh, 10 months ago um, and the, versus the market, but it's the least expensive of the whole market. And we paid our first dividend year-end, so I was really thrilled that uh, we have jets listed on the New York Stock Exchange, and it's the best way to play the airline industry. Uh, and it is just it's, uh, an industry that is very different than it was in previous cycles. And with falling oil prices, uh, they're even much stronger. Frank, you, your funds are not just based here in North America. You've got uh, interest over in Asia and around the world, really. So do you see, what is your outlook for, let's say, some of these lesser developed countries, some of the, um, uh, you know, Asia in particular? Well, that's a, gr- a great question because it relates to what I was sharing with you earlier uh, about interest rates. What is normal interest rates? It's so easy to see going from 8% to 5% or 5% to 8%. Um, 
but the research has shown that whenever real rates of return have a 500 basis points a change now from negative to positive, that is, in, in, for U.S. dollar terms, the dollar screams as a currency, and emerging markets all take it on the chin, and uh-huh. so does gold and commodities. So I think we're getting a price reversal where uh, we're going to have uh, the dollar not as strong, and uh, I think many of these emerging countries are looking much more attractive, uh, and I think they've geared down to uh, um, uh, their cost structure, and I think that these are the positive parts. So emerging markets are very attractive. Emerging markets attractive, and, and possibly a weaker dollar might pretend well for countries like Canada, Australia, the, uh, the, the countries that produce commodities. Do you see, are you turning more bullish on commodities? And then I might mention to our, to our listeners, you have your global resource fund, which really tracks uh, commodities. I mean, it's oil and base metals and everything in there, right? And chemicals. So what we've got to do is shift as the price of gas fell, natural gas, then the chemical companies do well because their input cost is natural gas to make those chemicals. So they have profit margin expansion. And a lot of those companies in the resource, I think the average yield is like 5% in the resource fund. Huh. So why would wow. you, you know, not buy those and go buy a government bond for five years paying 1.5%? Yeah, I and and so I I, um, I think there's like without being bearish on the whole part is that some of these companies when you look at the S and P five hundred, Jay, I mean it's just really Capital One Bank. They've mm-hmm. increased their dividend in the past three years seven hundred percent. Wow. Citigroup four hundred percent. I can go uh, Danar Corporation Industrial. Four hundred and forty percent. So, in this low interest rate environment, uh, uh, listeners should be really focused on companies which, which our mathematical models show that the three-year dividend growth is a key component versus what are they going to pay you for a five-year government bond? That's sort of the trade-off. And so, you're seeing that a lot of these companies have the capacity of paying these nice dividends. Uh, host hotels and resorts. Um, I think that they were up 122% increase in dividends. So you're not getting that income growth owning government bonds. Mm-hmm. No, for sure not. And I guess your models probably look very, very closely at the sustainability of those, of those high dividends as well, right? The balance sheets of those companies Absolutely. are taken into account. The balance mm-hmm. sheet and, and their cash flow. So we only focus on those companies that are in like the nifty 50. They have... Um, uh, the lowest cash flow multiples and the highest cash flow returns on invested capital with a balance sheet that is uh, in the bottom half of leverage against the whole economy. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting to look at that um, uh, when you look at so many of these companies, uh, even boring companies, you know, uh, I would say like L Brands, uh, yeah. the dividends increased 100%. Mm-hmm. So many of your, your listeners are going shopping at these places and, and so you can see Signet Jewelers, you know, that's selling gold and jewelry and diamonds. Well, they've increased their dividend over the past three years by 80% increase in the dividend. Wow. Uh, Simon Properties by 45%. Uh, so I think there's lots of, you know, interesting opportunities when you look at the overall S&P 500 that you drill down to those companies that have dividend increases trading at low cash flow multiples mm-hmm. and low debt to equity that mm-hmm. you need all the time, that you use. So that's where uh, the opportunities are in this uh, economy. Right, and by uh, employing those disciplines, Frank, you're avoiding 
buying companies that are over leveraging to pay to pay uh, dividends. I mean, there's a bit, there's been some of that too, at least at least from what I understand. In other Correct. words, you're looking at totally you're looking at you're looking at your gearing ratios, your 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 leverage ratios, your balance sheet. So if somebody's really misbehaving to that extent, uh, they would then then not qualify probably for your funds. Correct. In our global resource fund, one of the things we own is Vulcan Materials. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vulcan Materials and you know the cement business, and they compete with Martin Marietta. Uh-huh. Uh, and and one of the things they did is is they cut back their supply during the recession of '08. They just cut it back to maintain their prices. Mm-hmm. They laid off people. They said you know the the gravel's not going to evaporate and it's not going to rust away. So we're just going to produce less and maintain that pricing power. Mm-hmm. And now as the economy starts to turn, they started increasing their dividends. You know how much their dividends have increased in three years? I have no idea. Nine hundred percent. Nine hundred percent. So what sort of a yield so would they be giving now, uh, Frank, uh, just to give our listeners an idea? You um, might not know offhand. But. but No, their yield is, is modest because their stock is appreciated uh, yeah. with those, those yields. Uh-huh. So what you're seeing is that money is flowing into those companies which are, have the financial capacity to maintain that dividend growth. Sure. So money is attracted to it. Sure. And sure. so that shows up in our global resource fund. That's like, I'm trying to give you a name that would show up. And so the, 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 uh, uh, the build out and, and upgrading a lot of the highway system in America, which was passed through Congress and Senate, uh, then the Vulcan material companies of that nature, Martin Marietta, Martin Marietta, they participate in those expenditures. So that's how you try to make money in this type of overall economy. All right. We only have about four minutes left here, Frank. My engineer is telling me, but we, I should mention it's uh, the Gold and Precious Metals Fund. It's uh, symbol USERX and the World Precious Minerals Fund, UNWPX. Just briefly, uh, take a minute to tell our listeners the difference between those two funds. Well, the, the U, U.S. Global Investors uh, First Fund's uh, U.S. Global Gold as the uh-huh. first Novo Gold Fund in America. It's only producers. Whereas World will have the specs in it, and it will look for those companies which are brownfield going into production, um, those that are, have big, big reserves on a per share basis, so that the odds favor they'll get bought out by a major. So that has more of that flavor. But we're really proud of that. those funds is that the FT index, which we have to beat, or the other index, we've far outperformed them. And over the past 12 months, those indexes are down. They've been up 45% year-to-date, and our fund's up 40-some-odd percent year-to-date. But over 12 months, uh, they were plus 20%. So we had less declines, and we far outperformed the GDX and GDXJs by cash management, looking at uh, companies with better balance sheets and uh, high, high-grade uh, producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that, they're their gold funds. And the one that we always like to tell investors about is the fund which we've had 21 years of positive consecutive performance and rising interest rates and falling stock market crashes has been near-term in EARX. Yeah. And that's munis. And it's, it's quality-rated munis. Uh, it's short-term. That's why we've been able not to have losses in, in stock market crashes and interest rate hikes. Um, and so we're very happy about that because everyone should have a place to park their cash. And money funds offer you nothing. And this is one of those stable places to park, park your money. And as you rebalance and you go between a gold fund or an equity fund, uh, Nurex is uh, something where I have a lot of my cash. And I recommend that people have that balanced perspective. Right, and within your family of funds, it's fairly easy to switch from one to the other, right? Seamless. Yeah, 
So that's uh, easy, that's easy. That makes a lot of sense then to keep some uh, money if you want to have some liquidity around. Keep it in the near term fund, uh, and then and then draw on that when you want to buy something else. I know you've been really big uh, with the with a minute or so left here, Frank. You've really been big in rebalancing. Uh, tell our listeners just a little bit about rebalancing. I saw one time a guy on uh, CNBC or Bloomberg or someplace was giving you a rough time about buying gold, and you were trying to explain to him that it was part of the rebalancing program, that you buy something when it's out of favor, or you, but you have this rebalancing program. Just talk to us with a minute left about your rebalancing. Sure. Every asset class, Jay, has its own DNA of volatility. So when we look at the S&P 500, it's the same as bullion. Plus or minus 20% over any rolling 12-month period is as normal price action. And with that, when you look at gold stocks, they're 40%. Emerging markets are 40%. So those stocks and those asset classes and biotechnology have a much greater volatility. And when they go through these runs, uh, they can easily give you that correction. And that's why on that quarterly rebalance, when you get these spectacular runs, you rebalance. You take a little bit of money off the table and you go buy the other asset class, which is lagging. And then that asset class seems to catch up and go through a big run. And you take profits off of that and you buy some gold. So All right. Well, Frank, your end, it was great to buy All gold. right, Frank. We're we're out of time, unfortunately. But you explain this, and and where can people go to follow? Because you put out a lot of information. Just uh, Google U.S. Global, I suppose, right? And get get on your mailing US list. USFunds.com, USFunds.com, and uh, go to Frank Talk. USFunds.com. Excellent. Thank you Happy very much, everyone. Thank you, Frank, very much, and we'll look to do it again sometime soon. Well, folks, that's all the time we have this week. Next week, I'll be uh, Jeff Dice will be with me, and also Austrian economist Mark Thornton to talk about Donald Trump, what he might mean in terms of his policies. What would his economic policies look like? We're gonna uh, we're gonna ask Jeff Dice and the economist Mark Thornton about that. So, uh, hope to see you next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.